0: Hey everybody, it's that time again to start making plans to attend this year's Figurative Art Convention and Expo, also known as FACE, taking place this year in Williamsburg, Virginia in November. And once again, the lineup of artists who will be giving demonstrations and presentations is incredible. We're talking Scott Waddell, Adrian Gottlieb, Michael Klein, Joshua Laroque, Dan Thompson, Gabriela Gonzalez-Deloso, and many, many more. Go to figurativeartconvention.com for all the info. Hello, everybody. My name is Danny Grant. I am an artist, a drawing and painting instructor. I live in Austin, Texas, and I would like to welcome you back to the studio. This is the place where I interview and talk shop with other professional artists, and we get an inside glimpse into their daily lives as professional artists. On this episode is the one and only Juliet Aristides. So excited about that. But before I get to my interview with Juliet, I want to say hello to all my friends at the Atelier Dojo in Austin, Texas. Head over to AtelierDojo.com to register for our fall classes, which start in late August. I'll be teaching figure drawing and cast painting. You can also take classes with Karen Offit, Jennifer Balkan, Justin Baeza, and Eric Lothspike. We also have some exciting workshops coming soon with Zoe Frank, Carrie Dunn, and El Elbermani. Go to atelierdojo.com for all the details. And now, my chat with Juliet Aristides. Okay, I'm so excited to have artist and author and instructor Juliet Aristides on the phone with me. Hi, Juliet. How are you?
1: Oh, great. Thanks, Fanny. Great to be
0: here. Yeah, thanks you. Thanks for taking the time. Um, so I just wanted to start with asking you about uh, where you live and what life is like there. And, you know, if you could just go through kind of your basic daily schedule Um, just kind of want to hear how you balance everything out you are doing uh, what seems like a million things and doing them all well and um, just wanted to hear how you how you accomplish that Um, so anyway I'll stop talking now and let you go
1: Um, thanks Denny yeah I live in Seattle Washington and it's famous for being cloudy and drizzly a lot of the time which is actually perfect for working in an artist studio so if we were in southern california my productivity would probably be a lot lower <laughs> and um so i'm kind of curious because i've listened to a number of podcasts uh why do you ask about the daily schedule what is it that you find curious about
0: um you know artist life behind the scenes um, i think you know just trying to juggle it all myself I'm trying to get uh I'm trying to get some strategies for <laughs> for being uh you know that I can use myself and and it just sort of struck t- struck me that if if I find that interesting um just talking to other artists and and seeing how how their day goes then then there must be a number of other artists who who that would be interesting to also um and I think that we're all, I don't think there are very many artists who are just, there are some, there certainly are some, but I think for the most part, um, we, we're we not just in our studio painting eight hours a day, Monday through Friday. Um, you know, we're teaching, we're painting, we're picking the kids up from school, we're, you know, um, last two weeks I've been taking my daughter to uh, swim lessons uh, every morning, so Uh, Just things like that. I find that interesting how – and then we have to sort of work in um, getting paintings done, making money, you know. So that's that's kind of my interest there. I just – I find it – I just want to, you know, commiserate with other artists and see see what it's like for them.
1: Yeah, it's really difficult, isn't it, to have so many different things and have to have a mind that can function both as a person who – picks up the kid, get them, gets them to the swim lesson with all their equipment, picks them up on time. I mean, it's a lot. And then go to the studio and find that you have the wherewithal for a lot of imaginative, creative thinking. Right. You know, right. it's really tricky. Uh, have you found any commonalities or anything you found inspiring from working with so many people through your podcast?
0: Um, I guess the commonality is that... Um... It's, it's just so much more, you know, when it comes to working on paintings, it's so much more like, okay, I've got two and a half hours here. And um, I guess the trick has become, or, or the thing that um, we all have to get good at is being able to take a smaller chunk of time than we would prefer and figure out how to be... Super focused just dealing with that amount of time. If it's, you know, two hours or even an hour or something in the studio, how do we make that productive? Um, and I, I mentioned it on the, a couple of uh, my last interviews. Um, there's a great book called Deep Work by uh, Cal Newport, I believe. It's fairly recent. And he's got, he does have some, some good strategies about that. Um, one thing that he does is, is, um, that I've found useful, um, is just mapping out the day by, uh, I think he does like half hour increments and just trying to put into every single half hour, you know, make a plan for that whole thing so that there's not, um, you know, you don't finish one task and then kind of drift around for a little bit. You have this sort of game plan in front of you, and um, when I can stick to that, it it really does work. And and you find that um, wow, you know, you really can get a lot done in even fifteen minutes. You know, just little tasks, things that are sort of floating around in your head, like oh, I got to return that email, or let me, oh, let me follow up on that, or You know, let me see if I can um, at least put these stretcher bars together for the for the next painting or whatever. You know, there's a million small tasks that that come along with with this work that we can we can actually put into these small amounts of time that we might have that we might find here and there.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting because we're in this tremendous age of fragmentation
2: mm-hmm. where
1: we have all these time saving devices and we have things that make our lives so much easier. And um, things that would have taken people an enormous amount of time don't take us very much at all. And at the same time, you know, kind of changes us. And so the ability to sit down and do a task you know, to focus our minds and concentrate deeply over an extended period is difficult. Mm -hmm. And then also like the elasticity that's demanded to change tasks really quickly and juggle so many things when a lot of people are far away from family or there's a lot of different, um, you know, things that every individual has to manage. And especially, you know, as you mentioned, uh, everybody has got five different jobs that they're doing. And at the same time, you know, through social media, make it look like they're only doing one all the time. So it creates <laughs> a sort of schism, you know, yeah. and, and kind of creates the feeling of always working, you know, of always having to be working.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about that actually. Yeah. it. I mean, obviously there, there are all the benefits of social media and everything, but I, I was actually thinking about that last night is that it, 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 um, it gives you the feeling that there's no there's no rest like there's no because and i'm just i'm i'm guilty of this like you know sort of constantly checking up on things whether it's email or or instagram or something it's just like and it just gives you the feeling that there's no um there's just no rest there's no sort of like break between a work day and uh you know, home life or, or whatever, or just time to just sort of think because there's, everything's at, at your fingertips. And I think that's, um, I think it's probably too much for me anyway.
1: Yeah. It's a lot to, to have to do all that. It's, it's interesting that there's, um, actually kind of a subgenre of texts from 19th century that talks about how we deal with leisure, how we think about ideas regarding rest. And, um, that sort of, um, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote an apology for idlers, which he, he addresses this. And so it's something that we, we have a lot more reason to worry about it than perhaps he did. But it was a concern, you know, how do you justify your time, yeah. especially in the career of the arts. And also the sense that you have to do everything. You have to be the, creating the work and also the promoter of the work. And in this kind of new economy, function on two levels, a digital, ever-changing, um, ever-fragmented uh, world. And then a real world which you may or may not have a par- you know an exact duplicate persona, it could be two totally different things and and it 's interesting because as a culture you know when I was growing up in Pennsylvania, they used to have blue laws, which were you know things that you couldn 't do on a Sunday, like you couldn 't <laughs> bank you right. couldn't buy things at shops and all that stuff, which is so funny and so antiquated, but this idea of rest being um built in there's just times when commerce stopped. there's times when yeah. uh you exercise your freedom as a human being by not working but now it's almost like we're in charge of having to create our own identity and justify it and so it creates a feeling of this sort of um you know jury that can never be lived up to to some you know uh you know i don't really buy into that but it, i can see this enormous pressure that's put on almost everyone to
0: have to succeed. Well, yeah, and I think... um, Well, so how do you think... Do you think it's possible to be... To be an artist today who who is not doing social media? I know uh, from reading that blog post um, um, of yours... Oh... What's the uh, 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 uh. classical meets digital, um, which I, I really enjoyed reading. But um, do and and so you you kind of resisted for a long time, um, kind of getting in that digital space. Do you think? And I love that comment that your student made. Like, if you're not on Instagram, you don't exist. But that's really how it feels. Um, and there's so much. I guess. My question is, what I'm still trying to figure out is, is it that important? Like, it's, yeah, sure, you're, you're staying visible to, you know, your colleagues and your friends and everything, but um, is it that important when it comes to selling paintings? Or um, I think I could probably partly answer that question for myself, but I do think it is important in terms of, like, uh, let's say getting getting invited to be to participate in certain shows or things like that because people aren't seeing you out there, then you kind of are invisible but what what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's kind of too bad that you know like Jesus didn't have a telephone or that you know. <laughs> Buddha didn't have a way to. I don't even think he wrote anything down. I'm not sure. Uh, What we have this kind of idea that. um, I'm not sure how much is necessary or not. I'm. I got my first smartphone just a few years ago as a Mother's Day present because my husband got it free when he upgraded our. (laughs) It's phone. So, so I clearly remember, but it changes everything. So it's interesting. You know, your question is, you know. the you know markability of paintings but also maybe even the value of paintings divorced from um instagram or social media so that becomes really interesting question so at that Mm. point what struck me because i just started using it recently is how much it's like a video game really it it creates its own way of using it it's got its own rules and as kind of a a foreigner learning to speak the language it's really uh uh interesting um to see, like, I find myself unable to look at something for more than a few seconds as if, and then the interspersement of advertisements, and then the limits and, you know, the the limitation of of language, you use very little of it, and so it's interesting, so what is it we're participating in, is it actually painting, or is it in the marketing or promotion of kind of a new art form, which is... uh, what images look like or partial images or the creation of images as they're seen on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And so then in a way, I could kind of see it changing, you know, a lot of things. In fact, I'm sure it already has.
3: Um, So I guess the question
1: is
3: how valuable
1: valuable is the art form we're doing without that kind of sea of spectators watching it, you know, being creative where the created, where in fact, there is no original at the end of it. There is no art object that exists. It's kind of an experience or participation mm. in a group experience of watching um, this thing, you know, uh, happen. And so so maybe in a weird way, uh, that in a, of itself is the art form,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know. Mm-hmm. I don't know, just a thought.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder how many people... <laughs> This would be interesting. I wonder how many people have have started painting more in a square format because it's more. It's sort of <laughs> yeah, how, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what. That's the most optimal optimal <laughs> Instagram format. Um, that would be interesting. So
1: yeah, it puts a lot of pr- pressure to, to figure all these things out. You know, um, and and artists are required to do all this, which in a way is um, it sort of attacks the very part of the brain that's required to make the work so for example the constant dislocation of having to jump through um it it actually changes the way our brain works in terms of our ability to function on one task over an extended period of time that's the very skill set that's needed to create a piece of art or be able Mm -hmm. to have that kind of elasticity to jump back into something and that that um and then also it affects the audience looking at paintings um, you know, because culturally uh, people who are used to tons and tons of images, now all of a sudden you have, um, I don't know how many people are seeing original work, you know, yeah. in the houses around yeah. their friend's house, you know, aside from an allocated trip to the museum, you know. And so, uh, so you know, strains are ma- made on, on the artist, but it's also made on the, the people viewing the paintings as well, the lack of context.
0: Yeah. I wonder if that changes the way people, if, if, you know, when they do show up at a museum or gallery, um, I wonder if the experience, if, you know, they just sort of roll through really, really fast, because that's how they're used to seeing artwork or if, if it does strike people that, that, that this is different and they, they do sort of linger, uh, more when they're seeing it in person um or if or if it sort of lost that There's lost the ability to sort of uh linger and and think and and focus on on one thing um i think right that's but that i think that's what what you're talking about is that that this thing um the way you engage with it is is really fast and all of that and then um The skill that we need to actually produce this work is the opposite. It's the ability to focus and go um, and really go deep and be able to be in a frame of mind that is um, sort of hyper focused or or gets gets lost in this uh, in this endeavor.
1: Right where where there might not be any product at the end of a you know long period of time it takes to to process this stuff also the nature of you know how we um you know when we're relating to something on our phones, it's participatory in a way that you know we're we're not kind of held hostage by it in quite the same way, so you know we flip quickly it's up to us to like something or dislike it or to um linger on it but it's communal it's like a uh you know it's a communal virtual experience that's happening kind of everywhere somebody has a smartphone at that moment which is kind of a worldwide Mm
2: -hmm.
1: experience and then you have the um painting which is designed very much it's it's much more static in a certain way it's designed for, you know, an actual object, not the reproduction of the painting, but the actual painting exists in one place at one time with a viewer or multiple viewers whose attention is meant to kind of linger, and often if it's in a museum, there's silence around it. You don't get to comment on it in any sort of public way. Mm. And so it's almost like a closer the experience of looking at a piece of art or even the creation of a piece of art is much closer to reading a book in a certain way than it is to um, the other forms of uh, participatory media, like we get to experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's you know, interesting. Our,
1: um, um, and so if you have a cultural shift where, um, you know, I'm not sure how much people are reading but it's a slow way of getting information when you can get it more quickly with targeted searches, especially if you don't have less downtime to be able to spend, um, you know, exploring texts. I mean, it's a huge allocation of time to be able to sit and read a book. A lot of time that people don't have because we're doing all these other things that are so stressful.
0: Yeah. That's interesting Um, uh, because I think, um, and, and, yeah, just the 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 um, the, um, the relationship between looking at a, a piece of art and reading a book. I think that's um, I think that's right on. And I, do you think that? Um, I mean, audiobooks have been around for a long time, but it just struck me that's kind of a, maybe that's a, a sort of a um, the same almost the same type of deal as, as looking at artwork on, on social media. Um, I'm
1: not sure because I'm not sure that it would exactly translate because the meaning of it, when you hear it or whether you read it, the meaning of it isn't quite changed. You're still getting the essence of it, whether the letters are small or big. With a painting, when you lose the context of its location, a lot of work was designed no, not all of it, but historically there's a significant amount of paintings that we look at in books where you go through and, you know, if you're looking at the Medici tombs, um, you know, the sculptures of Michelangelo, they're mm-hmm. in a, the mm-hmm. location they were designed to be in right. and they have, right. um, you know, history and you can see them and the light hitting a particular way. Like I remember in Rome seeing one of the Caravaggio pieces of, um, and the light source in the painting was corresponded with the light of the window that was designed mm. to illuminate it. And the experience of seeing that is almost like you're coming into the presence of like a living thing in a weird way. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, the image itself remains, but that experience and the history and the scale and the context changes.
0: Well yeah and and just the fact that that those art works of art were designed to be in that specific space. All right so with that space yeah. in mind I'm going to create right, this right not work waiting of art.
1: For, Yeah not not waiting for always um, you know, that idea of someone talking to us while expecting someone more important to enter the room to hear the <laughs> conversation, just someone talking directly to us. That sense of, like, how would we feel if the only people who saw our paintings were the ones that were physically standing there? You know, are the people we're working for and the, the location that we're in, you know, important and valuable enough to us? Um, we're kind of weirdly dislocated. So what do you think, like, the... um you know, it kind of raises a question about, you know, is what what we're doing, creating an image, or is there a value to oil painting of the kind that we make aside from it, you know? Like, do you see much of a future for that?
0: Oh, gosh. it's a great question. Um, I think... I think no matter... I think people still love paintings. I mean, there's still... I don't think that's gonna go away. I think that I do think that's sort of a timeless thing that um, you know, new new things can come along, like social media and, and new ways of seeing the work, but I do think that actual paintings I I do think there's still a premium or, or an importance on the painting and and I do think when it comes down to it people really do appreciate um, seeing a painting in in real life. I mean, I think that's still always the comment, is when people see work in real life, they go, oh my gosh, it's so much better than, you know, especially when you think about something that you've seen in art history books or whatever, and you go see the thing in in real life, and it's just like, it just knocks you over because the colors are so you know for one thing they're always different than what was produced in a book or whatever um but then they're all you know more than likely they're 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 more vibrant and and all of that stuff so i don't think that um um and and you know bringing it back to 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 books too i think you know we all thought that with digital books that you know cracking open a a book was going to a real book was going to go away and it and it hasn't like there's still I think people, most people still enjoy sitting down with a book, whether they do it more than they read a digital book or not. You know, that's that's probably debatable. But but I think the enjoyment is still that's still the preference if there was the time and there was, you know what I mean? I think that's still people's preference, um, but it's just not that convenient. Um, but but, so one thing I wanted to ask you was, was, um, your thoughts on like, as far as selling work goes, the, like the current gallery scene, is that still the way, um, you know, how do we sell work? Is that still the best venue or do we all need to become, uh, social media entrepreneurs and and trying to you know reach collectors ourselves or maybe it's a little bit of both
1: yeah you know i think um you know it'd be interesting i think to just explore a little bit more that idea of the value of painting in our times like why you know to expand even a little bit more on why it has value because i think that the more that people are able to define, you know, really what they're doing, you know, and why, why they're doing it can help to not only get other people excited about it, mm-hmm. but also help clarify the best place for it. So, um, you know, I think that it, it's interesting because it ties also into like architecture and, and other things like art that's yeah. placed a public setting has a very different effect than the one that's created just for a private house and and the yeah. goals are different and the way we experience it is different um so when you're talking about like seeing a painting you know maybe a painting you've only seen in books and you go to europe and you see it in person um you know i remember uh going to a monastery and seeing a big painting that titian did that was commissioned and it was hanging uh you know, where it was commissioned to hang and that feeling of what it must have been like to be an individual who's so, imp- you know, how do you feel you feel so important where the backdrop for your meeting is a painting done by Titian. Like, what does that say yeah. about you that you're in a place that's beautifully designed mm. um, versus, mm-hmm. you know, an empty kind of shell of a building where you're. it's designed to be impersonal? Um, and there's so many public places like that when you start to, to yeah. look at them.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, so what is, you know, art is kind of this little bubble or painting, or at least the kind that we do. It's just this enormous uh, love of the individual and their own private experience and that there's a value to um, ideas of beauty and thought and design. And it's just the, the um, enormous investment on the part of the artist and to yeah. do that. and. Um, so, you know, the more we would be able to, well, let me put it this way if you go to all, all the new kind of interesting architecture that I'm seeing go up in Seattle, they're kind of swinging away from, you know, the die hard, uh, you know, brutalist architecture or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're bringing back natural materials like stone and wood and then glass. Yeah. So that way it's kind of a, a scaling back to create warmer spaces. But there's no wall space for art there's no painting um hmm. I'm not seeing any paintings that are going into these buildings or even really for private individuals there's very few homes that i go into where people actually have a, a collection of paintings or put money into it so yeah. i feel like for us as painters you know to f- f- identify you know why are we doing it who are we doing it for and is there a, something unique to painting that's worth preserving because it impacts a culture now in a way that's not translatable into other art forms or other media uh, experiences. And so once we can do that, I think we're able to fight a little harder for it or explain it a little more clearly. So I think that galleries are, um, you know, may not be the best place for people to see art, you know, uh, something that could, you know, I, I think it'd be great if we were able to Um, transform all these anonymous public spaces into a place to, you know, for painters to show work or, um, I mean, nice to get public art back Um, but that's, you know, just a private wish, I guess
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that would be incredible Yeah, you know, to walk into the post office and see an incredible (laughs) mural or something which, you know, the kind of thing used to be um, used to be normal um that's a, that yeah that's really interesting so i'm just thinking as you know that's kind of been crossing my mind uh, this uh, i don't know maybe a little bit of a jump but kind of it it has been crossing my mind how to be more creative about um selling work and trying to go directly to um well places that are already um you know things like hotels or restaurants or whatever um I know, I know i'm taking this in a little bit of different direction just kind of thinking more commercially um about just trying to be more creative again about selling work but um does that kind of go along with what Kind of what you're getting at i mean do we need to sort of take our work to different places and say i don't know how how do we get out of how do we get connect our work to places outside of gallery in a more sort of public setting
1: yeah you know it's uh it's it's different difficult because everything seems to be uh bureaucratically difficult to, um, yeah. uh, negotiate. But, but if you think of the value of it, um, there's, uh, um, you know, way towns and cities were kind of structured with people's work, um, you know, pre industrial times when you couldn't get around to places very quickly and you're kind of lived where you lived and you're brushing up against different types of people that you don't, mm-hmm. um, that are doing something different than you are and who have jobs that they can explain easily and quickly to, you know, they're actually making stuff and that you're buying and that impacts your life and all different ages. And so, um, the actual physical space and the community that's built is really, you know, and, and related to the environment in which people are living. Like you can actually, it matters when the sun comes up and the sun sets. So if you think of kind of, um, sort of what you'd imagine a normal environment for a human being to thrive in, like a community where you matter to other people in the physical space in which you're in.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um, You think of the role of art as uh, an investment in that community. I think that being able to take Mm -hmm. the work that you do and physically get it into a space where where it's gonna make somebody's life a little better, all of a sudden they're gonna see something you've made and it's not everywhere, it's somewhere. And um, I think there's a reason to go through the hassle to try to make it happen yeah. um and then uh so i mean that's just one thought
0: right yeah and I, I i i think you're right um so yeah so that i mean that sort of um so you're working off and it's off of an assumption there that people um are are would appreciate that would would like to see you know as they're sitting down for uh, a nice meal a an original you know painting uh, hanging on the wall there I mean you think people are yeah are, yeah uh,
1: and well, just, well I think oh yeah did you want me to respond to that before are you changing the I mean I'd like to address that a little bit because yeah no, go, ahead. Um, go ahead yeah. The the public conversation we're having about many things is like a lot of non sequiturs based on, you know, some of the most intelligent, creative things being done are being done by advertisers or tech companies that are designed to profit from, you know, our use of them is not a completely neutral experience for people. They're making a lot of money. And so, um, uh, and then our public spaces, like I was um, with a friend in hospital two days ago, Um, and he was getting a heart operation, and so I happened to be with him as he's going in, and so the environment of you have you have a real life or death situation and the environment is very clinical but it's almost this sort of contractual thing like let's not talk about things too serious everything's normal here because it's so clean and impersonal Mm. like there's some grown up in charge of this whole experience that is telling us just to you know any kind of deeper esoteric question that you'd have about the nature of your life or how what you do matters or what happens to your memories when you die and what happens to me as i'm scared going through an experience like this I mean, it's dictated partially by this environment. And um, so if you have, you know, what happens when you see a painting? Like um, all of a sudden it becomes okay to talk about an emotional response to the environment we're in. It could be a painting of something really simple. And what does it mean that somebody thought enough about... um, you know, something that they would have that's really ordinary in their house, like a paper cup. So you have a painter who paints a paper cup, and maybe it takes them four weeks to do it. Now you have a painting of something that's like a transient thing that somebody decides you're going to kind of make eternal for this image that they have on the wall. Now, all of a sudden, you look at this and say, well, here they're taking something simple and impersonal, and they're imbuing it with so much meaning and so much value and then you sort of go back to our own lives and take a look around and say, well, maybe maybe we do as well. And so I feel like um, the more, you know, just like the teaching in the boardroom or, you know, um, what we see around us sends us messages all the time about how important or not important we are or the nature of the conversations we should be having and our ways of contributing. I feel like people are, feel really dislocated and it can be uh, very... Um, you know, good medicine for our time, like traditional painting techniques can actually be incredibly relevant for the times in which we're living.
2: Right.
1: Um, and like one experience that I had, um, you know, I'm sitting here looking across at St. Mark's Cathedral because my um, studio is at Gage and uh, it's adjacent to a cathedral and I was walking, had an appointment to you know, maybe I take a kid to an appointment. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's pressing. Mm -hmm. And normally they have organists who are, I don't know, feel like former school teachers or something, but they pound away on it. And with these, these pipe organs, they can, um, you know, long pauses and it can be a little bit ominous, but they had someone really good in that day and he was playing something by Bach and I, I You know, it didn't matter what the appointment was, you have to go hear this music. So I yeah. went in. I'm the only one in, sitting there. And that feeling of, you know, I guess, you know, classical music is similar to, abst- you know, it's an abstraction.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or to speak strictly to um, emotion. But it felt like the music was created for people who were more, were gods, not men. You know, I can't imagine anybody being the recipient of a music that powerful. And it's almost like a, my, my imagination in that moment, it's, uh, it's like truly sublime. Um, and I, I don't know what, what I was saying, but probably like drooling and crying at the same time, like it just touches <laughs> like that place. And I feel yeah. like art has the potential to tell us you're a whole lot more than what's happening at this, you know, at this moment.
0: Right, right.
1: Than your fragmented chaotic
0: day, you know. Yeah, and kind of yeah, uh, kind of going back to um, the scene uh, at the hospital. Um, I can just imagine that you know, someone who's really having a hard time in a in a hospital room, and maybe it's maybe it's you know they're dealing with something terminal or something, and and just the opportunity to see uh, a beautiful painting on. The wall to sort of take them out of that, you know, where every thought is about, well, how's my, you know, whatever, how's my blood pressure right now, or just these sort of, yeah. these terrible yeah. meetings with your nurse every two hours or whatever, where they come in and they give you another dose of whatever, and that's just, just that existence is just, uh, it's just, it's just so, yeah, it's just so terrible. And just you know, maybe maybe a painting on the wall can can just like, you know, spark a conversation or take that person back to a different time. Um, my wife is telling me this story that she heard. I don't know where she heard it, but she was telling me there was this kind of study done of people in, um, um oh gosh, I can't think of the right term for it right now. Uh, basically, an old folks' home, right? um Mm -hmm. and they um you know maybe they had they had mental um you know maybe they were sort of declining mentally and all of that couldn't quite take care of themselves um they were taken out of their regular home and put taken to a different place where um these are older people obviously um where all the music was like from the 50s the painting, you know, the stuff on the wall was from, you know, the 50s and earlier time, right? When they were younger and more vibrant and all of that. And um, they they recorded all of these, like, you know, they recorded actual things, like their physical strength improving. Their, um, you know, the fact that they were just up and walking around more and their mood seemed to... Um, Seem to improve, seem to lighten up. Um, so it's just like I think that's just a great illustration of how important, like you know, what what you're talking about, are our surroundings and just how that can affect our our everything. You know, from from our physical well being to our mental well being. I thought that was fascinating. Right,
1: right. Because if you you know if you look, every everything that we're getting. Um, we're getting so many different messages about the way we're supposed to look, you know if you're old, if you're getting too old, if you're fat or or fine, or how much income can help you you know have a life that feels like it's significant versus worthless, and um, yeah. all that stuff and and we're sort of buying in into that, but if we're able to see, you know, beauty in our own environment, if that's affirmed, how would we know if we're super poor? You know, if you're, if you've got food to eat and you're surrounded by community where there's things that seem to reflect back, you know, reflect back, you know, value and beauty, you know, they do a lot of studies on on what happens to the mind if you get a little downtime in nature Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, people like the Olmsted uh, uh, firm in there's, um, Right across from where my studio is uh, is a park called Volunteer Park, and um, it was designed by the uh, Olmsted firm, uh, the same one that did Central Park, you know, mm. back a hundred years ago. And they have a little a water tower. If you climb up to the top of the water tower, they have a little exhibition on the goals of, you know, on, on the Olmsted firm and um, and the I can't remember what the father's name, but the you know original guy wrote about how so many pleasures in life have a kind of brutalizing quality on the back end of them and they come with a, a cost hmm. and that designing um, beautiful landscape where people can walk around are one of the few pleasures that are, you know, wholly affirming
2: yeah. and,
1: uh, and, and change how we, you know, we feel about a lot of things. So I think you're kind of spot on with it and actually um, you know, I, I feel like our movement has yet to define exactly the role of, of painting and drawing in a changing world. And But the more we're able to do that and articulate um, that, the more we're going to be able to get it where it needs to be.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: you know, the ability to, um, you know, what happens when you're, you know, we're talking about painting as a finished work of art. And how that might affect someone who's looking at it. Um, you know, I know for myself, looking at a beautiful painting. Uh, you know, there's there's all these definitions of what is beautiful, and one of the really funny ones that I really like that was Tolstoy wrote, wrote a book on art, and he listed a bunch of these ideas of beauty, and he said, beautiful. I can't remember who was who he was quoting is the thing that gives us the most amount of thoughts and the least amount of time, and. Hmm. I relate it to that because I can feel my thoughts like rushing and my, you know, I can feel myself being inspired and, um, yeah. Uh, why beautiful. So we're looking at, at work that way, but there's also something unique that painting and drawing gives in the study of it. Um, you, it's impossible to do it, especially in the tradition we're working in, to do it quickly. Right. Uh, so yeah. in an age of speed, you have an incredibly slow medium. Uh, it just takes years to, Train the eye and to train the hand, and you get um, used to a different way of relating to your own thoughts. And um, that, and you know, the study of art or the study of seeing is something also unique that we have to give um, Mm -hmm. to you know to to the world that we're we're living in.
0: Yeah, just that that ability to take uh, that's one of the things that I love about painting or that i love about um trying to create a little piece of art is just that where you can take or you can kind of design this little moment and just sort of meditate on it and, and and abstract it from the rest of the world and 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 show the world like look at this little thing isn't that beautiful just you know just isn't the way (laughs) not necessarily isn't my painting beautiful but hopefully they think that but but you know isn't this um like i i recently posted a painting that i uh, uh did of a cow skull on instagram and and somebody asked me what um forget specifically what the question was but it was basically like well you know what were you trying to say with this painting okay and um it just struck me that I wasn't really trying to say anything other than like I loved you know I I just loved the sort of organic beauty of this skull and then I set it up and I put this really bright warm light on it and just the just looking at that was sort of all that I wanted to to express with the painting. It was just the way that that that, that this object looked under this light and the effect that the light had on it. Like it wasn't. Um, I just wanted to like I was it that I just loved that the way that looked so much and and that that's why I wanted to make the painting. Um. And so yeah. it, I like that. I, I don't know that that I guess that little thing. It just it seems it's like such a little, <laughs> it's such a ridiculously small sort of niche in in the world of things to do. <laughs> but like, well, so that's
1: yeah. the that's the heart of true painting. It's interesting because it seems to be the most withering criticism that's happening. You know, as to say what does it mean? Where's your voice? What are you trying to say? How are you contributing to the, you know, um, uh, the culture in terms of, you know, politically standing up for, you know,
2: you know, the idea of
1: creating something just because it's beautiful is, is laughable to many people. Um, however, if you think of it, um, there's a bunch of different ways of thinking of it. One is that, um, boy there's a historically way of looking at it. I mean, what painter of the past came up with their own narratives they tie- they didn't they were commissioned all of art history were commissioned yeah, yeah and they were all tied into the grand narratives of their time. We no longer believe in a grand narrative. Um, so for us to do a painting of something like that is it's it's always a statement might not be the statement people want to hear and there's mm-hmm. also something very fake to me about having to come up with a concept. That's almost, um, to me, I think, a secondary thing. Like, for example, if you look at somebody like uh, William Morris and the Pre-Raphaelites, he's one of the most political painters I can think of in terms of, like, a well-thought-through ideology who actually allocated a huge amount of his time and money to be able to, um, you know, make commentary in his personal life and with, with um, you know, a lot of different things about what was happening uh, between the you know the nature of work of how people were working and living conditions of the time and uh, you know so so many different things and but yet the, the, what he did was he he made things that were beautiful he designed furniture that would last so if you look at the anger in his writing and you know he wrote hundreds of these lectures and uh, you know hosted the Socialist Party at a time where they thought that if ever if workers got free time they would devote themselves to making paintings and you know reading books <laughs> they didn't realize what would happen if you gave us more free time uh this sh- distractibility of the human uh, heart but um so this so here you have somebody who had a lot to say but his art was beautiful and so even people we think of as who, whose whose art form was a form of protest like if you example like think of like someone like um, George Orwell with his 1984 mm-hmm. and, um, all those, uh, when he describes why he was writing or why he writes or, or, uh, Flaubert or so many or Hemingway or, or so many different writers who, who can put great words to, they can think through what motivates them to create work that we could think of as being, um, you know, having a very strong voice
2: yeah.
1: and they are reacting to the same phenomenon we are, um, so for someone like uh, you know Orwell, Flaubert, or whoever Tolstoy, they look around and see the degradation of of what was happening in their society at the time, and um, the loss of um, the, the you know the impersonality of the impersonal nature of of an environment driven by commerce or I'm um, thinking of you know uh, you know if you look at the art movements like you know, the move towards realism with Corbet where, or, you know, um, people in that time where they're, they're looking at, um, a loss in an industrial era of a loss of meaningful work, you know, by creating beautiful pictures can also be a form of protest, hmm. you know, as we feel the absence of them. Yeah. And so, you know, or, or with, um, Orwell, he really describes, um, the process of what motivated him to write was he began to start narrating his own life. First of all, he loved the lyrical nature of language, certain lines, how they felt on his tongue. Mm-hmm. Then he would start describing as he walked through the days, you know, uh, you know he, he said, I walked into the room and I saw light that slanted through the window and hit a matchbox on a mm-hmm. table. Well, that's like a still life painter.
2: Yeah. So yeah. if you
1: start to... Skim it down or if he's looking at our loss of privacy uh, and he's reacting against it, he's so what what would motivate one painter to do a painting that's beautiful or another person in anger to create a work of art against the loss of that uh, the motivation is still the same in many ways. I don't know if I'm I'm making myself understood but I absolutely believe the impulse is the same uh, taking a moment and trying to make it last, right? Um, right. And so, and so on one hand, you know, what do you want to say? That being sort of a statement,
0: Yeah.
1: Well, well, also. You know, anything we can think of, you know, do you have a persona that you're trying to cultivate in real life? You know, mm-hmm. if you're an authentic human being, you're not. Right. The Your voice and what you're wearing and the life you're living is a direct expression of, of your heart and what you think is valuable.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so with painting and drawing, these ideas that you have to fake a concept as if you're going to come up with something that no one's ever said before. And even if you did, if you're doing a painting about the horrors of what's happening with, like, the migrant buildup on the border... How is that going to be necessarily relevant 100 years from now when our problems are entirely different? Right. Like if we have paintings on the suffragettes, now all of a sudden everyone's got the right to vote and the art looks like a piece of propaganda. Um, yeah.
2: So I think yeah.
1: artists are in a unique position to focus their attention on things that are eternal with absolutely no shame whatsoever. And in fact, in, in a, an age of... Uh, a digital age. The fact that you're sitting and making a painting using oil paint, designing something to last when nobody's making anything to last. Furniture's designed to last fifteen years, you know. Whereas Morris was designing it so that you could leave it in your will to your children yeah. and then hold on to it. Yeah. And um, it was worth paying for. But um, at you know, at any rate, the fact that you're allocating your time to do this in a slow, you know. It's a slow art movement. That is a statement, and so I, I reject that whole argument. Really.
0: Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> thank you. I mean, I agree. I I I don't think the. Um, I don't think the question is. Uh, I mean, I think it's a perfectly fine question. Uh, I think the sort of you know what. What were you trying to, to get across, um, kind of thing, or, or what was your, you know, what was the idea behind this painting? Um, I don't. I think it's a perfectly fine question, but yeah, it's it, it's interesting that there is always that um, um, expectation, I guess, that you you necessarily started with an idea. A uh, uh, something you were trying to an idea you were trying to promote or something like that and then made and then made a painting um but it,
1: right it's our, it's our you know our interest with the supremacy of the image like that the image and the content and the image is the thing that matters most and it might not be like if you look at the writers or the you know pieces of literature that you like the most if you look at paintings that you like the most, how much or have been most transformative to you personally, how much of it is because the subject was totally unique or the subject was something you hadn't thought of or put out in a way that you couldn't have imagined. It's often, I feel like that, that's come to dominate the conversation. And I feel like it's it's leading, it's leading, a leading question that doesn't necessarily lead us to the right answer.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's it's um, it's enticing, though, in a world where um, it can be hard to it can be hard to stand out or be um, get noticed. I think um, for a lot of artists who come through the atelier system, because um, everyone is the level that everyone or most people reach is so high. So there's no, um, you know, I think maybe going back to, let's say the nineties or something, there was, there were people who who kind of stood out because there was, there you know, the tradition had sort of been lost. Really right. There were yeah. people, you know, there were people like you, Jacob Collins. Um, I'm just thinking of, of some of the, the first people that I noticed when I was looking through magazines at that time, um, Will Wilson, people like this, who sort of just stood out as head and shoulders above uh, what else was going on, but that's not necessarily the case anymore. And so, right, right. it seems enticing to sort of try to figure out, um, uh, you know, I don't, uh, an angle or a different take on on how to do stuff to just sort of like, you know, poke your head above uh, above the sea. Um,
1: Right, right, which is really difficult. Um, yeah, it's really difficult, especially when there's not enough money going around. There's not enough, you know, sort of energy creating uh, natural markets for all the work. And so it creates this issue. But this kind of loops us back to the beginning of our conversation in a weird way, where, um, you know, what makes a Vermeer different from paintings from that time period of the exact same subject matter? Mm. You know, his was, uh, you know, it it wasn't the subject, it was the handling and the sensitivity and and his particular vision. So maybe we could create, have a kind of a different question. The thing that I see happening is that people will kind of tie into the more modernist values of our time. So I've seen some really beautiful paintings of really objectionable You know, just it's you know Tolstoy wrote about when upper classes have everything they want, and you see a loss of religion. What you'll see is an 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 appeal to the immediacy of basically sex or violence because it's the only thing people can feel or notice anymore. We're so we're so numb, Mm. and so you see that being co opted by the movement as a way of um, standing out when there's not a really strong identity to the individual to begin with perhaps. And so I feel like how can we, through maybe the allocation of our time, how we spend our days and what we're looking at, what we're being influenced by to set up this sort of North, you know, star that we can begin to cultivate our own depths of uh, as individuals. And then that will begin to, um, find its way through the work. So I think sort of demanding that we become, Uh, you know, well-read and kind of active citizens out in the world and and all that will will find a very natural, um, you know, it can't help but reflect in the work. And also, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to put the blinders on and trust that it's not one painting that's going to do it, it's work that's done over a lifetime.
2: Mm -hmm. But,
1: um, you know, so can we kind of uh, unplug a little, little bit enough to figure out what we want to say, what we have to contribute. Now all of a sudden, you got a fire that can uh, go behind these paintings, you know, which will help.
0: Yeah, I think that's. I think I, I totally agree with that. I had, um, you know, something that I've thought about a lot. Like, um, but but I think you nailed it. I think the only way to sort of, um create a you know i think i said it earlier or i was at least thinking it um your work is 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 unmistakable i I think i think most people would agree when they see one of your paintings they know uh right away that it's one of your paintings and i think to achieve that kind of thing i i I i think that's the only way to go about it is to to basically have a like you mentioned a strong individual identity where you know you're sort of um i think early on you know you have to sort of identify your values and i think the more that we uh pursue those and stay true to those things um that sort of strengthens your individual identity and over time that that comes through in the work and that's the thing that's going to sort of you know, make your work identifiable. Um, the 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 hard thing, again, is that you know we live in this sort of fast paced world that doesn't um, that doesn't respect the amount of time that something like that takes to develop, and right. it can it can be um, um, for the person who's in the middle of that you know, who's, who's, you know, reading a Victor Hugo novel or a Dostoevsky and they're, you know, they're, they're, (laughs) they're trying to uh, develop, you know, this, you know, soak in the, the culture of, uh, and the, you know, the artistry of, of a great work of art like that or a Titian painting or whatever it is, it's like, um, it can feel like the world's passing you by while you're sort of um, involved in yeah. this. Um...
1: Yeah. We have to, we have to have courage and let the world roll by. And we have to set, you know, I, I don't think people have to figure it out. We don't have to know who we are. We just need to yeah. uh, crawl in the direction of, we, we need to be going the right direction. So like Montaña like wrote um, his essays, which have been handed down and he, set up a tower and it still exists and climbed the stairs and uh, had a a library and devoted time to examining his own thoughts. And someone like uh, Rousseau as well, he said, uh, I'm going to spend the rest of my life when he was already, I don't know how old he was, probably in his 60s, already someone who you would think knew exactly who he was and said, I'm going to take barometer readings of my soul, mm. you know, from now till the day I die. So this sense of when you have the greatest amount minds given a huge amount of time, they're still struggling with these issues. And so that sense of, uh, you know, we don't have to arrive, but the act of looking and knowing that in that space, mm-hmm. you know, the time allocated to allow ourselves to be bored, unstructured time, we begin to get these like a scent, you know, we begin to start to sense something that's there, that's just around the bend, we can't put our finger on. And uh, we begin to figure out who we are, and we begin to establish this sort of uh, resonance. So for example, if your senses are amped up, that the only thing that you're exposed to is fast food, when you're put in a Uh, expensive restaurant everything might taste like nothing not because there's nothing there but you're desensitized to it Mm -hmm. and so that can happen with the the originality of our own minds how do we know we have original thoughts what do we have to offer well you know nobody has anything to offer except for you allow time and space for it to grow needs a lot of time a lot of space and so kind of putting fences or borders around a little bit of time over years and years and years begins to um begin to become sensitive to, uh, you know, simple pleasures and knowing what brings you alive and what things you're struggling with. And so all that can happen over time. And I think that with painting and drawing, we're, we're actually preserving a particular kind of human being and it's worth. And so the more we're able to identify that, it will give us permission to say our time spent, you know, wasted reading a book when we didn't even understand half of what we read mm-hmm. over over time is, is valuable. Um, so I, I think that we're just beginning to have the the conversations, you know, the right conversations. That's going to help define our movement and yeah. why it's of lasting value, which I believe it is.
0: Yeah, I know yeah. it is. Yeah, oh. absolutely. Um, so
1: um, thank you so much for taking the time. It's really fun to get a chance to talk to you.
0: Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Um, thanks for uh, just a great conversation. Um, uh, I really you know I'm happy with with all of these episodes but the, they don't always um, necessarily uh, become such a great conversation uh, the, the way that was so uh, thank you for that
1: yeah it's a pleasure thanks for having me and uh, and up. The only reason I don't want to talk about my daily life is because it is so highly fragmented. So I find this uh, conversation really encouraging to hear about you as well, Danny. So thanks so much.
0: Oh, thank you. All right. Have a great day, Juliet. We'll talk to you again down the line.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. Bye. Bye.
0: Okay. Thanks again to Juliet Aristides. Um, just a wonderful time talking to her. She provided a lot of thought-provoking ideas. One thing I've been thinking about a lot since our conversation was the idea of getting more artwork in the public sphere. So places like hospitals, hotels, restaurants. Of course, those places have artwork, but most of the time it's photography or g-clay prints or If it is an original painting, it's uh, a modern design painting that, you know, goes with the decor highlighting a certain color palette. Um, They can be really nice, but it's not very engaging work. Just imagine you're in a hospital room dealing with something heavy. And on the wall in the room is an original Ted Minoff seascape with this touchingly delicate, beautiful sky, something like that can really have an impact on your state of mind and quite possibly your health in that situation or you're out having dinner and on the wall in the restaurant next to you is a Juliet Aristides figure study I think the impact our art can have in places where people aren't used to seeing great artwork or aren't expecting to see great artwork can be huge. Um, It can greatly enhance an already good experience like enjoying a nice meal at a restaurant or it can take a mundane or grim experience and turn it into something meaningful. It can take your mind off something painful and focus it on something sublime and wonderful about life. So the question is, how do we get our artwork into these places, on these walls? Well, one idea... I have is that we start by looking at the work we have available and try to match it up with a specific place. Like I have some work that I think would match the look and feel of a certain boutique hotel in San Antonio, so I have the address of their corporate office but I don't really know how I'm going to approach them yet. Do I walk in with some paintings? Do I drop off a business card? Do I email them? I don't know yet, so I'm sure someone out there has done this type of thing before. If you have a good idea about how to approach a business to sell them your artwork, please send me an email at danny at com, and I will share that info on the next episode of this podcast. Uh, before I will go today... I want to tell you to head over to figurativeartconvention.com. I'm talking about this year's FACE conference happening in Williamsburg, Virginia in November. It's so much fun. So many artists you know, like, and admire will be there. You can catch up with old friends, see demos by artists you love, and draw and paint directly from the model in the evenings. It's really the ideal vacation for artists. So go to figurativeartconvention.com for all the details and as usual if you're listening on itunes uh leave a review and a seven star rating if you want to donate to this podcast go to podcast page at dannygrantfineart.com and click on the donate button in the top right corner and that's it that's all i got for you today thank you so much for listening and i will talk to you next time bye